Matthew chapter 17, Matthew 17, if you'll join me there, Matthew chapter number 17, we're going to read the first couple of verses, then we'll drop down to our text today, which is verse 14 through 21. So Matthew chapter number 17, we've been in a series here through the gospel of Matthew, really an effort just to get to know the Lord better, get to know our Savior and introduce him to others that don't know him and and Matthew is continuing to make the case that Jesus is king. He is the Messiah. He is God in the flesh, in fact, is what we're seeing. In fact, we saw that last time. Now, last week we had Brother Bruce Humbert here, and that was fantastic. Just really enjoyed that. And I think for every one of us, it came at a really good time. Just a reminder about uh, the need to pray. In fact, that, that's going to come out in our, in our text today. And so that's not happenstance, that's not coincidence, that's providence. And so I look forward uh, to that, emphasizing a lot of the same things. So Matthew 17, verse number one. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into an high mountain apart. And then the Bible tells us in verse two that he... And he wa and was transfigured, means changed, before them. Well, in what way? What did, what did that look like? Wouldn't you like to have been there to have seen just a glimpse of his glory? And it says that his face did shine as the sun. And his raiment, his clothing, his raiment was white as the light. And we'll explain a little bit more what took place there. But let's drop on down to our text. They come back down from the mountain and they're meeting back up with the other nine of the 12 disciples. And so uh, they had a discussion on the way back down the mountain. And then when they get back there, there's, there's a little bit of chaos that's going on. Mark and Luke both record this passage and tell us a little bit more of even the background, what was going on. The scribes were there and and, I, and they were criticizing the disciples. And, but here's, here's what was going on. Let's read about it now in verse 14. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. This is a dire situation, isn't it? It's a dire, a dangerous situation for this young man. Verse number 16, please notice this. It says that this man reports, and I brought him to thy disciples. Notice these next three words or four words, and they could not, they could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Suffer there means um, bear with, literally put up with. Could I just pause to say I'm glad he's willing to put up with us? How long? And then Jesus says this, bring him hither to me. 
And Jesus, notice verse 18 now, and Jesus rebuked the devil, the demonic being, the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. It's wonderful. Mark and Luke both give us a little bit more details that I hope to kind of work into the message today. Verse number 19 now. Then came his disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. There it is. Because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye had faith, as a grain of mustard seed, be the smallest seed that they knew of, a grain of mustard seed. So evidently the amount of faith is not as significant as the object of the faith. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall remove. Notice this, and nothing shall be impossible unto you. Now, please notice verse 21. Howbeit this kind, howbeit this kind, if you live long enough, there's going to be some this kind of situations that come to your life. Howbeit this kind goeth not out, but by what? Prayer and fasting. The least favorite Christian discipline of Baptist. <laughs> Fasting, I guarantee you that. Prayer and, it's still in the New Testament, friend. Fasting. Fasting. This morning, let's consider this um, here out of these verses. The failure of his followers. The failure of his followers. We need to understand why they failed because we're prone to do the exact same thing. The failure of his followers. May God bless the reading of his word. I'm going to trust that he would do just that and help us here today. What a contrast between the first part of chapter 17 and the, the part that we've just read here. From the Mount of Transfiguration down to where there's this controversy and there's really this failure. In fact, uh, Warren Wiersbe said it this way, we move, from, we move from the mountain of glory to the valley of need. The mountain of glory to the valley of need. Another said this is a jarring return to the real world. As these three, Matthew, I'm sorry, uh, Peter, James, and John came back to reality. Don't you love the mountaintop experiences that God allows us to have and Maybe it's a revival meeting or a, or a youth camp or something like that. I mean, it's just a mountaintop experience or maybe just a season or a time of prayer that you've had with the Lord. And, and sometimes you're inclined to say, God, if I could, I'd just stay right here. In fact, that's what Peter said. He said, Lord, it's good for us to be here. In fact, let's, he went into like the Millennial Kingdom Planning Committee party as he said, you know, let's build a tabernacle, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah, and let's just stay here a while. That's what he said. And I get it. I understand if you've ever had a great time with the Lord, you don't really want to go back to work. You don't really want to go back to how things, uh, you know, are back there. But, but as Matthew Green said in his commentary, returning, they were returning to the everyday world 
they are met with tragedy, need, and failure. That's the everyday world. That's the world that we live in, friend. We gotta, we gotta live in, in that everyday world. I wanna remind you up front here this morning, though, that the, the glory that he had on the mountain is still the same glory that he had veiled in the, in the valley. Still just as glorious. Still just as available. But, but how do we function in this, in this fallen world? How do, we, how do we go about and deal with real life issues? I mean, some major serious issues. Would you agree? I mean, what this man's encountering here is a major life issue, a major serious situation. And we'll have plenty of them ourselves, some impossible situations that we'll face. How do we deal with those impossible situations that take place in our lives today since he's not bodily, physically here? Just like it was then, the nine were encountering this situation and Jesus was not present bodily with them. The same is true for us. I'm sure you're like me every now and then. I just, I think in my mind, I just wish the Lord was right here. And I know that he is. I know that he is. But I'm just talking about physically bodily here and just let him take care of it. See. Um, another individual said this about this, this episode, and then we'll be getting into it, but this episode of desperate human need and the disciples' failure, it contrasts sharply with that glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. It shows the reality of living in the world in the absence of Jesus, and the disciples were found in one word, in one word. I want you to think about this one word, powerless. Powerless. They could not. We, they admitted it. We could not. Powerless. Hey, listen, friend. Um, in many ways, modern Christianity across the board, powerless. Um, even though we could be, even this morning, going through a lot of the emotions and singing some powerful songs. I mean, if you really just pay attention to it and you pay attention to the Bible reading, listen, there's no shortage of power in the Word. There's no shortage of power in the Holy Spirit. There's no shortage of power in the Father nor of the Son. But we could go through the motions as a church and Jesus, Jesus could be on the outside of Southwest Baptist Church knocking on the door wanting to get in and we're going on with church, with church without Him. Powerless. Powerless. I trust that's not where we are, but it certainly is where we could be if we don't take heed to what he said to his disciples here about why they failed would certainly be why we fail. And it may be this morning while you're failing to see victory in a certain area. That could be a help to all of us if we'd really tune into it here tonight, this morning. Powerless. Why? We're asking here this morning. Why? We're asking basically, I mean, they presented the main question of the chapter. Why were we not able? Why couldn't we do this? Why were you able to do this? Why were we not able? And why were they powerless? Let's, let's listen in and see what, what Jesus said here. We've already read some of the verses, but they saw a glimpse of his glory when he took them up to the mountain. And, and by the way, he took them up to that Mount of Transfiguration to show them a little sneak peek. Uh, uh, we could say just a little preview of his glory because he knew that he was going to suffer. And if they were going to follow him, they knew that he knew rather that they too would suffer. And so I thank God that in his infinite wisdom and in his infinite mercy, he gave them just a little preview of his glory because it's about to get real dark on Mount Calvary. 
In fact, for the space of three hours, that it would be dark and, and as sin would be placed upon our Savior. Our Savior. But, but listen, this morning, He's still our glorious Savior who was dying for all of us. It says that Elijah and Moses showed up on the scene, but I want you to look at verse number eight just, just briefly here. Um, in the fury of preaching a couple of weeks ago, I didn't really highlight this particular verse like I should have, and that's one of the joys and privileges of pastoring. You get to come back and finish your sermon two and three weeks later. Verse number eight says that when they lifted up their eyes, if you remember as the, as the cloud was there, the glory cloud was there, and, and God interrupted Peter's planning session. And while he was yet speaking, the father said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, and so then that glory was there and they were over, overwhelmed with that glory. And when they looked back up, listen to this, they saw no man save Jesus only. Jesus alone. That's really where our attention needs to be today. Not on Moses, not on Elijah. As significant as they are, as greatly used as they were. Hey, listen, we need, we got to get to the place where our attention is not on us. You know, it's, it's kind of ironic to me that I was just kind of looking ahead about, okay, where, where's this going after we get through this chapter and, and where we're coming from. And here they saw Jesus in all of his glory. And then they come back down from the mountain and they, and they see the, the disciples in all their non-glory. Lack of glory. And then the very, one of the very next scenes we're about to get into is how they were having this argument about who of them was the greatest. I mean, this doesn't even match up. There's Jesus in all of his glory. Here they are. We cannot. And now they're having this discipleship award ceremony. That's messed up. That's messed up. So where are we, right? But our focus has got to be on his glory. You've you got to get a glimpse of his glory. And listen this morning, I, I realize that, that we can't see his glory in the sense of, of, of how it is in heaven. I mean, you can look at his handiwork of earth in a fallen world and still say, you know, he must be a glorious creator. He is a glorious creator. And, and how glorious heaven must be if, if, if it's so beautiful here in many ways. But, but, but listen, uh, we need to get our focus back on him. And you can see his glory in his word. And the depths of despair cannot compare with the glory that is to come. No matter what you're going through today or what you're going to go through, the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the glory that he has, it is so superb. It's so supreme, so much greater than whatever depths of despair you're going through right now. Just hang on, believer. Just hang on. Just keep going. Just, just have faith. Hey, listen, I, I realize it may be dark right now. I don't know what everybody's going through in here. I just thought I'd pass this on. Hey, listen, it may be dark right now. You may be confused right now. It may be tough right now, but listen, he's coming again. I just thought I'd encourage you about that. He's coming again. He's still just as glorious as he was when he left. This same Jesus who has not waned in his glory is coming again. Now, this situation right here was well beyond their control. This man brought this, his son. Mark tells us, and as Jesus asked him, how long has he been like this? And, and this man says, since a child. So now he's probably, I have in my mind, a young man. And, 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 and so he's, he's, uh, he's experiencing all these things that we're going to get into. We, we would recognize, I mean, in many ways, because uh, when, when this demonic being would overtake him, then he would 
cast himself on the ground and, and, and would go into convulsions and would be foaming and gnashing his teeth, grinding his teeth and, and just out of control. You might look at it as a seizure and, and, and some of those things, but it, but it really at verse 18, if you look at it, verse 18, Jesus lets us know, or obviously the text lets us know that he cast out the demonic being. I mean, this was a very serious situation. This father was overwhelmed with it. I, by the way, this child could not have made it through his childhood and even into his young adult years had he not had a family that cared about him. Isn't that right? I mean, if, it, if this demonic being was oftentimes casting him into the fire or casting him into water, whether that was a well or a river, then he had to have somebody that was there constantly watching him. I, I just want to say a word here. Uh, obviously, today we live in a fallen world and there are special needs children that, that's not related to dem demon possession. This is, this is very clearly demonic possession. That is not what we see, you know, with, with children that have special needs. But I just want to say a word before we move on here today because there are some parents that are dealing with some really tough situations even our own church family, some really tough situations. And I've, we have some in our family and, and uh, uh, on both sides of our family, it just grieves your heart. You know, when I go to some of the special, the special needs class that we have and, and I see some of uh, what parents are dealing with and, and I think about even the Hetzers and some of the special needs that they're dealing with. And I, I just, I just want to commend you that are parents of special needs kids. Hey, listen, you're not alone in this, in this situation. The Lord knows what you're going through and, and there's a church family that cares about you and we want to do what we can to be a help. But I, I'm telling you, I just can't imagine what this man had been through as he tried to help his son. Oft times he cast him into the fire. Oft times he cast him into the water. I mean, you had to keep a constant eye on him. Today it might be like this. You never know when he might run out in the street or you, might, you never know when he might leave the house. You never know when she might, might do this or that. Oh, my soul, that's just grievous. This man, I don't know, he heard about Jesus somehow and, and, he, and, he, and he heard about his disciples and maybe he got on the scene and he heard that Jesus was in that area and, and he said, I'd like to see Jesus and, and, and I don't know who it was that spoke to him. Maybe it was Thomas or one of the other disciples, but they said, he's not here at this time, but could we be a help to you? And, and this man said, my son is, is grievously tormented by a demonic being and, and I've heard that Jesus can cast him out and I, I've heard that even you can Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 8, Jesus gave them power over demonic beings. And they had experienced that. In fact, here it might be some of the danger. They had a previous experience that caused them to think maybe we don't have to pray as much about this right now. This man, it says, uh, this young man was lunatic, which means he's mentally out of control. The Bible says also in the verse there that he's sore vexed. That means that he was su suffering severely. I mean, this young man was in severe trouble and he was, Luke, Dr. Luke would tell us, I, I say Dr. Luke because the, the writer of, of Luke's, uh, of the gospel called Luke was a doctor and he said that whenever this demonic being would take possession of him, he would cry out and, and he gave other descriptions that, that this would take place in, his, in this young man's life. I'm just, I'm just simply saying that here is a young man that was in a very dangerous situation. I want to say more about it later on, but let me just say here right, right now, many young people are in some dangerous situations some dangerous situations. 
We see in this text that God is not the author of self-inflicted pain. Would you, would, you, would, you, would you let me take just a little diversion right here that's not much of a diversion, it's in the text. God did not cause this boy to throw himself into fire. God did not cause this boy to throw himself into the water. That was satanic. I, I want to be clear today. This is not to say that all who harm themselves, either by cutting or by suicide or some other means, are, are you following what I'm saying here? That is not to say that all who harm themselves are demon-possessed. But I believe we are on safe ground to say that all forms of self-inflicted pain are not from God. Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. Satan comes to kill and to, and to, and to steal and to destroy. Young people cutting themselves today, adults cutting themselves, adults committing suicide, it's grievous. Listen, friend, God won't lead you that way. God's not putting those thoughts in your mind. I don't know who here today could be dealing with some thoughts of suicide or, or thoughts of doing bodily harm to you or somebody else. Listen, that doesn't come from God, friend. Satanic influences in our society. We need to recognize that Satan is a, is a real person, not a, a figment of somebody's imagination. That's a real demonic being that is, is at work in our society and demonic beings at work in our society. And they are influenced in the way that young and old think. And much of the music of the, of the day is, is laced with, with thoughts of self-inflicted pain or, or hurting somebody else, violence. The media... The occult practices, the false religions, the books, the thoughts, the drugs, the alcohol, your own flesh. If you reflect on your life situation without the revelation of God's word, Jim Berg said that that'll lead to despair. Reflection without revelation equals despair. But watch this, reflection, thinking about your life situation with revelation equals hope. Hope. There are some who have got to a place of hopelessness. There might be somebody even watching this. I, I, don't, I really don't know. I, I, somebody that's at a, at a state of, of some hopelessness right here. Let, let me encourage you here this morning. Listen, don't do anything that you're going to regret. Don't do anything that's going to leave your families with unanswered questions and wondering why or what could we have done? What more could we have done? Would you please just go to Jesus, friend? Go to Jesus. And this man, he, he took his son to Jesus. I mean, he was in a very difficult spot and he took his son to Jesus. Listen, that's what we need to do here today is just, just get to the Lord. And I realized here this morning that this, was, this man was actually disappointed because he, he went to the disciples and they couldn't help him. But don't judge Jesus based on us. Now, I shouldn't have to say that. Because we ought to be a good reflection of who Jesus is. But if, let me just say, there may be somebody here today that, that you came for help and it's like you haven't got any help here at this church. Well, we want to help. In fact, uh, our, our model, our theme is honoring God and helping people. Helping people. 
That's our heart. That's our desire. But, but listen, you could be here today and say, you know, I came to that church. And I was trying to get help for my marriage. and I didn't get any. I came to that church. And I was trying to get help for my addiction. And I didn't get any. I came to that church. And I was trying to find out how to get to heaven. And I didn't have anybody that, that showed an interest in me. I came to that church. and I tried to fit in. But it's like, you know, they'd been there for 71 years and nobody else could get in. I came to that church and I tried to get some help and I, I just couldn't. Well, listen, here's what, dude. Listen, don't, don't give up. Just press on through this crowd and get to Jesus. Get to Jesus. Now, those of us that are here and we are, we're hearing those, those cries and those statements, then we ought to take heed because I think it's in our heart. And I know this church very well that it's in your heart that you want to be a help to others. I think these disciples, they wanted to be a help to others, but something was wrong. And we're getting to that, but, but it's highly possible here today. And Brother Ted reminded us in Sunday school, in the, in the adult Sunday school class here, the Southwest Bible class, he said, he said, there's no perfect church, including Southwest Baptist Church. Would you, would you believe that, that the assistant pastor said that this is not a perfect church? Now, come on. How do you keep a job and do that, Right. But friend, listen, he's exactly right. This is not a perfect church. We try to be a friendly church, but sometimes we forget to be friendly. If you go to church long enough, you're bound to get disappointed by the Lord's disciples. You're bound to, because we're, we're still living in skin. Mm. Folks, listen, I... It's a good reminder to us that every week there's people that come through those doors that need help in their marriage. I mean, this, I, I look at every, I pray every, every Tuesday as I get back in the office, I take Monday off, but every Tuesday I pray over every one of the, of the guest cards and say, God, I, you know, you sent this person here. And I don't know, some of them I met. I try to make notes on my, my prayer list and as I meet people because we want to learn names. And that's not just for a pastor, that'll be for all of us. It's not, it's not easy, right? I asked Brother Sam. Brother Sam has, a, I think, a gift in doing it. But I asked him one time, how do you do that? How do you remember somebody's name? He, here was his answer. You ready? I want to. All right. I'm good. Good. Yeah, you sure do. I want to. I want to. I'm, I'm just saying... There's somebody coming here today that needs some help. Somebody came in here last Sunday and they needed some help. And this might have been the one, let's never forget this. It may be the one time they give God a chance. The one time, one time they say, you know, I've heard a lot about church and I'm going I'm to give it one shot. Oh, we got to be on our A game. Right? What, 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 what is our A game? I'm getting to that here in just a minute. In fact, it's not even our A game. Our A game is still bad. But what, but what I'm saying is we got to be ready. we got to be ready because a dad's coming with a son or a, a mom's coming with a daughter or, or a married couple's coming. And listen, hey, listen, it's not time to mess around. It's not time to just kind of go through another service. It's not time to go through another motion and just sing another song. No, listen, people are in real desperate need and they're saying, I want to get out of what I'm in and I don't know how to get out. I don't know what to do. Can somebody help me? The Lord was grieved. 
The Lord was grieved as, as the people came to Jesus. And, and in verse 16 and verse 19, the, the focus is clearly on more than a failure of the disciples than it was on even the healing of the son. And, and in verse number 17, the Lord, the Lord said there in verse 17, look at it again, if you would. He said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. Now, who's he including in that? His disciples. Oh, faithless. In fact, one man said that Matthew went out of his way to emphasize faithlessness faithlessness. Your unbelief, if you had faith, faithless. And, and he's not just saying that about the scribes. He's not just saying that about the father. In fact, he's going to say in Mark's account, I believe it is. He says to the father, if you have faith and he says, Lord, I believe. But then I love what the man said, help my unbelief. You like that? Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. And, and the Lord healed as a response to faith. And, but it wasn't just the man, and obviously it wasn't just the son, but it was, it was Thomas, and, and it was the other disciples that were there. He, he said that about them, oh, faithless and perverse. You know what he did? He lumped them in with the world. He said, my followers are acting just like unbelievers. What an indictment. What an indictment that our Lord would say about us that, that we have when you think about faithlessness and perverseness or twistedness or, or when I looked the word up, it meant distorted or even corrupt or wicked and uh, oh, faithless and perverse generation. In other words, he's saying, listen, you've got a wrong attitude towards God. You're not believing that God can, or at least you're not acting that way. Oh, perverse or faithless and perverse generation, he says. And how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer or put up with this? I wonder today if Jesus showed up on the scene. Actually, but I'll tell you, when you mentioned that about Jesus coming to church, it kind of made me nervous on the inside. I thought about it. I thought, whoa, wait a minute. What if Jesus showed up? I'm like bodily, physically. I believe we'd all straighten up. I mean, it was quite a thought. To think he's, he, but may I remind us all today, he is present. He is aware. But I wonder if he'd say, how long do I have to put up, put up with this lackadaisical form of Christianity? How long do I have to put up with this, this form of Christianity that doesn't really believe or trust me? How long do I have to put up with this worldliness that's come to my churches? I wonder, if he, I wonder if he had that same assessment. How, how, long do I, how long will it be before you start doing what I told you to do? I, he wouldn't say it unkindly. He wouldn't say it with a mean spiritedness. But friend, listen, he said, I'm saying, I'm saying he wouldn't, but here's what he does say. He says it firmly. He says it lovingly. He says it boldly. He says it courageously that we're not living up to what he wants us to do because the results are not there. Now, I thank God for what has been accomplished, but I wonder if we just trusted him more, if more could be accomplished. If we just believe. I wonder who is still hurting because we haven't trusted him. Did you hear me? I wonder who's not in church today because we haven't really trusted him. We'd say something in our mind like, oh, he'd never come. Well, I thought that this week. Shame on me. Go ahead, shame on me. No. <laughs> shame on me. I thought that this week about a, 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 an individual, a neighbor. I, th I thought, no, nah, he'd, he'd never come. Got friend day coming up. He'd never come. 
Well, I don't know that. I'm ruling out what God can do. That's a wrong mindset. The Bible says that Jesus rebuked the demon, and listen, there was no negotiation on the part of the demon. He was out. There was no, oh, hey, wait, who do you think? No, no, he was out. The Bible says that um, in Mark's account, Luke's account, that when he said, bring him to me, that the demon had made one last effort. And the young man went on the ground and was convulsing and foaming and, and, and grinding of his teeth. And, and, and Jesus rebuked the devil. And, and, and then Luke, I, I believe it's Mark's account that said he lay on the ground and people thought he was dead. But our Savior went and gently took his hand and lifted him up. And the young man was healed. Oh, what a moment. And then the disciples took him aside privately. Why, they, why, why didn't they just deal with it right there? It's embarrassing. You ever, uh, your wife ever bring a jar to you? And, hey, can you open this? That's why you married me. <laughs> you get red in the face. Give me a rag. <laughs> Hot water, turn it upside down, tap it. I mean, all kinds of stuff you do, right? I can't get it. Give it to your teenage son. <laughs> and he's 12, right? 13. <laughs> what do you say? I loosened it for you. Isn't that right? That's, that's our next response. Good thing I loosened that for you, right? <laughs> That's what the disciples are saying. Why couldn't we do that? How come you could do that? We couldn't do that. Look at his answer in verse number 19. Is that where it is? No, verse 20, because of your unbelief. Literally, it's without faith. Faithless because of your unbelief, your lack of faith. You didn't trust God. They were powerless because they were faithless. They were without, they lacked power. Wait a minute, don't, 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 let's not get it confused here. It wasn't their faith that would cause this devil to leave. It was God's power. Jesus rebuked him. So given that all they had to do was just ask the father and he could have cast them out. The power was not the disciples. Way too many churches kind of get into that deal or individuals get in that deal and think it's all about them and their ability. Oh, friend, listen, we are so unable to do what needs to be done. But he is not. If we just had, Jesus said, if you just had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you ever sow like Bermuda seed? Bermuda seed's really, really small. You know, you ever sow that and, or some other small seed? If you, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, then, then you could say to this mountain, be thou removed and cast into the sea or be thou removed. I mean, but that doesn't mean that Jesus wants to start an excavation business as a church. We get a call down here at the office. Hey, we got a mountain over here. Could y'all come over here and move it? No, that's not what it's, that's 
That's all he's saying. The mountain, like we read in, in Sunday school, see how much you get out of Sunday school? In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says, if I had all faith and could remove mountains, it's a figure of speech. It's a, it's a metaphor for an impossible situation. You got one? An impossible situation? Think about what it is right now, would you please? What's your impossible situation? You got two of them? Two big mountains there. How are you going to move that? Can I remind you today that infinite resources are available to us if we only believe? But we got, I mean, we got to keep in mind our faith is only as good as the, as the, as the object of that faith. But if you put your faith in the infinite, eternal, all-wise, all-powerful, all-present God, He can do something. Amen. Well, that's an understatement. And then Jesus said this, this kind goeth forth not but by prayer and fasting. Faith needs prayer for its expression, full expression. Prayer needs fasting for its full expression. Andrew Murray said, why did he say fasting? Well, fasting is saying, um, I'm letting go of what is physical. And, it, and, and I'll quote Andrew Murray again here. He says, prayer is the one hand. Watch this. This will help out, think, everybody here. Because I know I don't like fasting. I'll be honest with you. I really don't. You don't either, right? Prayer is the one hand with which we grasp the invisible. Fasting is the other hand with which we let go of the visible. And then he went on to say, and nothing is man more closely connected with the world of sense than in his need for and enjoyment of food. Glorious food. But, but here's what happens. When we fast and pray, we're saying, God, there's nothing I can do about this but you are not limited by my limitations. The disciples were not able to cast out the demonic being because they lacked faith. They were powerless because they were faithless. We lack power because we lack faith. I think this is a good reminder to all of us that we need to keep our faith in the right place. Modern Christianity, we tend to do spiritual work in the power of the flesh, leaning more on marketing and technology. Man, we got so much technology, we maybe don't even need the Holy Spirit of God anymore. That's how we act sometimes. It's not right. We give up prematurely and think, oh, this is an impossible situation. I just can't do anything about it. Or we're prone to rely on past victories. Think what we did then, could it work now? Can I say to you this morning that it is not time to decorate the children's areas of our churches or if Southwest Baptist Church with Disney characters or Avengers that would help them have inspired faith. It's not time to fill our, our youth rooms with game systems to entertain children. 
young people. No, they're facing some really, really serious situations. And I just wonder if we just give ourselves to fast and pray, I wonder if God could save a generation of young people without a game system. I guarantee you what they don't need is more game system. And what they don't need is more worldliness because they're in a really dangerous society. They're in a really dangerous world with dangerous satanic influences that are coming at them through social media and all kinds of other means through movies and their music while the churches just sit idly by and carry on with business as usual. Listen, we got to get a hold of the throne of God and say, oh God, would you help these young people? Would you help this young man, this young lady? Would you save my son? Would you save my daughter? and pray and fast about it, then we'd get on some spiritual ground. Prayer and fasting is still the God-given solution to having sufficient laborers in all the world. Listen, the church in Antioch, they fasted and they prayed and the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them. Terry Unruh, who's been a missionary in restricted access country, had said for many years that prayer is the essential fuel for evangelism. It's the essential fuel for discipleship and church planting. Without it, our efforts to reach the unreached billions will fail It'll fail. Listen, there was a lot that the early churches did. They did a lot more than just praying. They did preaching. They did singing. They did evangelism. But the first thing that they did was pray. The first thing. John R. Rice said, all of our failures are prayer failures. Faith leads to prayer. Prayer leads to fasting. How many of you are fasting? I'm not asking for a show of hands. How many of you in the last month have fasted about something? I realize there's people that have medical conditions. I get that, understand it. And I'm not saying start a 40-day fast starting Monday. That's not smart. Don't do that. You'll hurt something. <laughs> but maybe just take a lunchtime and say, this is so important, I'm just going to get myself to pray about it. Well, you'll be looking forward to dinner, I guarantee you that. Maybe take a whole day and fast and pray about it. Hey, is this, is, are we dealing with stuff that's serious enough for us to really fast and pray about it? I've got some decisions coming up in my own life and decisions in terms of, of our church's life and just things going on. Hey, there's times I've taken to fast and pray about some things and we'll continue to do so. What does your prayerlessness say about your faith? When's the last time you had a real season of prayer? When's, when's the last time maybe you took an afternoon just to spend with God or an early morning to spend with God? Prayer. Preacher hit it last week. I'm hitting it again this week. You think God might be talking to us about it? Who's still hurting because of your prayerlessness? Jack Taylor said, if we could only understand, know and understand what happens when we pray, we might well have difficulty doing other things that occupy our time. Prayer and fasting invite God to work where we are limited. They failed. They failed because they didn't trust God and have faith. Their faith had no expression of prayer and fasting. Maybe you're up against something right now that's a mountain. Maybe it's not just two. Maybe you've got a mountain range. What do you do? Have faith in God.
I'm just trying to say what Jesus said. Pray and fast and see if God doesn't work where you're limited. Isn't that good? Let's stand together in prayer. We're going to have an invitation here. And there may be somebody here. We've prayed. We, we are praying. I, I just was thinking we're, we've got friend day coming up. We've got a campaign coming up. And the best of human efforts is not going to get it done, church. We've got to pray. We've got to fast and pray. We've got to be seeking God with all of our hearts. But I, I can honestly say to you that are here maybe as a guest, we have prayed that God would speak to your heart about salvation. If you're not saved, we want to invite you to come and to know our glorious Savior this very morning. But I know today a text like this would humble all of us about our prayer life and our faith. And you got an impossible situation facing you. Learn from the failure of the disciples. And have faith in God. Express it in prayer. It might be a good place to start right here at this altar. Heavenly Father, as we um, mobilize and move into place here to have some time of prayer, we've had a lot said and tried to show what the text is saying and thus what it says today. <clears throat> you recorded it. You preserved it for us that we might learn even from the mistakes of the disciples, the failures. God, I thank you that in the last two weeks you've reminded us, last two Sundays you've reminded us of just how important it is to have a place of prayer regularly, but then also when we're faced with an impossible situation. I thank you for the answer to prayer too, God. I see you working in specific ways. It's wonderful. So God, we, we want to learn from this. Help us in this invitation, in Jesus' name, amen. Page 241, Jesus paid it all. If you'd like to come today for salvation, please come.